Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loyal, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. I'd like to welcome all of you in a special way as you are journeying with me, hopefully, through the rigors of the bright sadness, the great Lent. We've just completed our first week of Lent, and in the Eastern tradition, it actually began this past Sunday evening, which is sort of the preparation for Monday, which is our first day of Lent. It began with the Forgiveness Vesper service, which is chanted and prayed on Sunday evening, thus beginning Monday. So in the Eastern Reckoning, Lent actually begins on Monday, not on Ash Wednesday. It's a little bit different than our Latin Rite brethren. And we count the 40 days from that Monday all the way through until Palm Sunday. So Lent is a straight 40 days for us, which includes the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. It's just that the rigors of the fast, the ascetical disciplines, are mitigated. In other words, they're softened a bit, but they're still observed in a certain way, not as strictly as during the week. And then we come to Palm Sunday, and from Palm Sunday to Easter, of course, is what we call Great Week, or the Week of the Bridegroom, also known as Holy Week, and that is its own separate fast. And that fast actually was the more ancient one. It is the one that actually was used by the catechumenate centuries ago. In other words, those preparing for baptism. But in time, the Lenten fast that we know, the 40 days, developed afterwards. But the original fast was that one week prior to Easter. Because on, on the Vigil Liturgy and Holy Saturday, Great and Holy Saturday, you know, the Vigil for Pascha, for Easter, is when the baptisms would take place. That was the time for baptism. It still is in the church. In both the East and the Western lungs of the church, that is one of the most grand evenings of liturgical ceremony. 
the great Easter vigil in both the west and eastern lungs of the church. And in fact, especially, have to credit our western brethren, they have really restored a lot of that tradition of the catechumenate and the baptisms on Holy Saturday. It's still the case also in the eastern churches, but it's become a rather grand observance in the western church in recent decades, and to their credit. So we sort of compliment and credit our western brethren in their observance of the Easter vigil. Speaking of our brethren, we have some of the brothers who have written to us, our good friends, brothers, I call them Brothers D and Brother M, to protect their names because they are serving time in prison. And we do thank all of you who are listening to us who are serving time in prison. We are praying for you. And this program actually does us a certain honor because we're able to, in our own way, make good on the call of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. The one, in fact, that leads into Lent where it says we must visit those who are in prison. So in our own way, we hope that we are visiting you here at Light of the East, all those of you who are in prison and have been kind enough to write to us and above all to listen to us. And brothers D and M write to me and they say this. They say that they never miss a show and we encourage others here to listen as well. May the Lord grant you his strength during this upcoming great fast. Please continue to pray for us as we will for you and your precious ministries. And may our giver of life open to us the gates of repentance. In his service, Brothers D and Brother M, serving their time. And we, of course, assure them of our prayers. We love hearing the fact that all of you listen to us in light of the East. We can bring you some kind of consolation, some sense of the presence of Christ. We hope that through this marvelous medium that God has given man the wisdom to invent, this medium of radio or TV or internet, whatever, that we can hopefully bring through that marvelous medium, Jesus Christ. I believe that this is why the Lord gave us this kind of wisdom. You know, we marvel at sometimes the things that we do, but we have to remember that God gave us the wisdom, the genius to do these things for his purpose, for his message. This is the great way to communicate the presence of Christ, the word of God. And so hopefully we're doing that for all of you who are listening, especially those of you who are in prison. And whether you are in prison or not, Hopefully, all of you are observing and embracing the rigors of the great fast, which, of course, is based upon prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, those, in a sense, are umbrella categories for a lot of things. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Prayer has to do with our entire relationship with God and renewing that relationship, really taking stock of it and learning all about the different dimensions of prayer, which we're going to deal with in a program in, in the near future. But also, then the next one is fasting, and fasting has to do with not just abstaining from food, but as St. John Chrysostom warns, he said, you abstain from the flesh of idols, yet you devour the flesh of your brother. The fathers had a way of warning us that (laughs) it's not good enough just to abstain from food. It's not just sort of like a race or a a merit that we gain, like something we're supposed to accomplish at the end, we're proud and we go back to it. Rather, we abstain from meat and dairy products, you know, from the fatty, fleshy, really succulent, enjoyable foods, only to develop disciplines to abstain from other areas where our passions are disordered, things like lust and anger and and pride and this underlying narcissism that that so marks our culture today. Have you noticed that? There's a such a, almost like an underlying narcissism. And the way that this kind of thing is broken is by these ascetical disciplines of Lent, by saying no to self, especially no to something as simple and foundational and as insatiable as our stomach our appetite. So this is the wisdom of the fathers. They said, if we can conquer or control the cravings of the flesh, especially in the area that is so strong like gluttony, 
We can also do that in other areas of our life as well. And that's the point of the rigors of Lent, the asceticism, is to help us to change, to transform. And that brings us to the third principle, almsgiving, which is a common umbrella category basically for charity. In other words, ultimately, everything is to help form us, is dedicated to transfiguring us, transforming us more and more into that image and likeness of the loving Christ. But we need to kind of kind of beat down a lot of the beast within us, and we need to sort of step back and take stock of them. You see, Lent is actually a return to our normal self, to that original self. And John Paul II would call in his theology of the body, the original man. In other words, our original innocence, that original harmony we had within ourselves, between one another, man between woman and between man, and also between us, the environment, the world, and above all, our relationship with God. All that was in harmony at the beginning. That's how it was meant to be. And and it was never meant to stop being that way. But through choice, through misusing the great gift of the freedom of choice, human beings turned away from God and thus disrupted or ruptured that original harmony. So everything's affected by it. So harmony with our appetites, our passions in control, in harmony with our will, with our conscience, in harmony with God and the order of things. That's actually the norm. And Lent is a time that, for many people, it seems like it's like a special interruption. We sort of go through this special rigor. We sort of tough it out for a few weeks and then kind of go back to normal. Like, wow, I accomplished that, so I guess I get some special blessings. Well, yeah, you get some special blessings. God is pleased with any kind of effort we do for his name. But that's really not the point of it. The point of it is that we return. Lent is a return from exile. Very big term in the Eastern approach to Lent. It's a return to our true self. Our true self is not our sinful self. Remember, we were never meant to die. We were never meant to be sick. We're never meant to commit crimes, to sin, to fall down and stub our toe or grow pimples or go bald. None of that stuff was meant to be. What was meant to be was perfect harmony happiness, holiness. We are to be totally integrated beings, integrated within ourselves, our mind, body, heart, spirit, all working together in this beautiful harmony. We were created to be these glorious creatures. Remember, we were made in the image and likeness of God. But then sin came into the picture and disfigured that. But yet into that picture came Christ, the new Adam, to kind of redo it again, to be faithful to the Father and to redeem us, make it possible for us now to sort of remember that original innocence, although we can't ever go back there totally, but we kind of reach back and sort of grab and echo that original innocence. But at the same time, we look forward then to our ultimate destiny. And that's the part that Christ really won for us. So he takes us even beyond our original destiny. That's why St. Augustine was famous for saying, oh, happy fault. Not that it was good that we fell into sin, but it becomes, in a sense, happy because Christ comes into that sinfulness and he takes it on himself and he takes us not only back to our original self, but even beyond, he takes us to our ultimate self, what Pope John Paul II called eschatological man. In other words, the eschaton to where we're really meant to be, which, of course, is that virginal oneness with Christ and with each other, with all the angels in heaven, seated at the heavenly banquet and chanting forever the praises of God at the heavenly liturgy. That's the truth about ourselves. The truth is not our sinfulness. It is part of our reality, but it's not the truth about ourselves. There's a difference. It's part of what we have to deal with. It's part of reality, 
but it's not the truth about the human person. Lent is a time when we try to return from the exile of our false selves and rediscover our true selves and also our destiny as human beings, as the creature that God made to most image his image and likeness. We're going to talk more about this magnificent time, this time of the bright sadness of Lent when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion, and to tell the story of the Eastern lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. And now, a special Lenten invitation from Father Thomas Loya. Glory to Jesus Christ. There's a magnificent service that we pray in our church during the fifth week of Lent. It's called the service of the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete. This service is of timeless duration, but we invite you to experience any part of it throughout the night. There will also be an opportunity for confession. And if you stay for any part of this service, I guarantee you, you'll start to be moved to one to go to confession. It's a profound, profound journey into the whole phenomenon of repentance. As you walk through the Bible with all the Bible verses, the beautiful chants, the prostrations. It's just this incredible journey to enter into. We also invite seminarians and theologians to the great canon of St. Andrew of Crete, starting at 7, Thursday evening, April 7th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Complete details on the events link at byzantinecatholic.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Lawyer on Light of the East. You're listening to the choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you... Welcome back to Light of the East, where we're talking about regaining that original image and likeness of God, Lent being a time to return to that original glory that we had, to try to get back and echo that original man. In other words, our real self, our true self. In other words, our true self was a, a self that fasted. Remember, part of original sin was the fact that Adam and Eve broke the fast. God told them to fast, to abstain from a particular tree. But they didn't. In other words, they broke the fast. And there they became, in a sense, less human, subhuman, disordered, and all of creation with them. So fasting is actually returned to the normal. Our passion's in control, in harmony, everything sort of measured and integrated. That's the norm. And we need these aesthetical disciplines to return to that. We return to 
deep prayer, rediscover prayer, fasting, and all this leading, of course, to charity, or in other words, almsgiving. But speaking of the image of the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was the image of the Father. No one has seen God the Father or the Holy Spirit. We've only seen manifestations of them. You know, the dove was a manifestation. It was not the Holy Spirit itself. The Holy Spirit is not a bird. It just manifested itself in that form, and also the fiery tongues that descended upon the apostles on that first Pentecost. But only the second person of the Trinity has been revealed in the flesh as a human person, in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because Christ himself is the image of the Father, we too, especially in the Eastern churches, portray in images, in other words, icons, the image of Jesus Christ. And we can do that. But for a long time, this was actually refuted, in fact, to the point of even violence. So on this first Sunday of Lent, we call this the Sunday of the Holy Images, or the Sunday of Orthodoxy, meaning the Sunday of the true faith, the true belief. You see, what happened was for centuries, based on a misinterpretation or an over-exaggeration of a passage from the book of Exodus, which said this, this is when God was giving the Ten Commandments, he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that place of slavery. You shall not have other gods besides me. You shall not carve idols for yourselves in the shape of anything in the sky above or on the earth below or in the waters beneath the earth. You shall not bow down before them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment for their father's wickedness on the children of those who hate me, down to the third and fourth generation, and so on. Many people over the centuries have taken this out of context, because in a few chapters later, in fact, in chapter 25 of the same book, Exodus, God is instructing the Jewish people on creating the ark you know, the Ark of the Covenant. And he says that you shall make an ark of acacia wood and two and a half cubits long and, and a half cubit wide and one and a half cubits high. Plate it inside and outside with pure gold and put a molding of gold around the top of it. And so the description goes on. But then it comes to this part. You shall then make a propitiatory of pure gold, two cubits and a half long and one and a half cubits wide. Make two cherubim of beaten gold for the two ends of the propitiatory, fastening them so that the cherub springs direct from each end. The cherubim shall have their wings spread out above, covering the propitiatory with them. They shall be turned toward each other, but with their faces looking toward the propitiatory. That's kind of a tough word to pronounce. Anyway, what we see here, though, in the very same book later on, even though at first it says you will not make images and bow down before them, at the same time, God does tell the Jewish people, in fact, to make an image, an image with a face on it. Even though it's an angel, they have human-like faces. That's how we portray them. That's how they were portrayed in even the Bible and how they appeared to human beings on earth over time. So our Lord God himself tells people throughout time to make images. And the images are not something we bow down to to worship, but rather, as the great Byzantine saint would say, especially Saint John Damascene, who wrote about the holy icons, he would say that we bow down and reverence these images not for their own sake, but because it translates or transfers that honor and adoration to the image that it represents. In other words, the actual person, meaning God. And you know, we have, as human beings, a basic need to do this, actually, human beings were created with five senses. Do you ever wonder why? Well, in the Eastern churches, we know why. In fact, we engage those senses at our services. That's one of the things we're known for. Lots of incense, lots of smells and bells, as they say. 
We believe the five senses were created by God so that we could experience God. We could be put in touch with God through smell, through sight, through sound, through touch, through taste. And in fact, that's what we do in all of our liturgy. We engage our entire being, our entire body, mind, soul, spirit, our entire being in worship. And the senses play a huge part in that. So we have eyes. Why? To see God and to see God and be mindful of God through images that reflect his glory and the glory of the angels and the saints in heaven, the mother of God. And God gave us hands. Why? So that we can create things that would remind us of him, would put us in touch with him. This is called an incarnational spirituality, and that's very, very strong in the Eastern spirituality, in the Eastern churches. We're very incarnational. In other words, we see everything is imbued with the presence of God. And so we can look at things, we can reverence things, not for their own sake, but for the power that they have. And they do have power. Icons have power to convey the presence of God. Oh, icons have been known to weep miraculously, you know, to cry, to exude fragrant ointment at, at, at amounts and in rates that just are, are supernatural. There's no way to explain it. I've seen it myself. I've even, I even have samples of some of those secretions, those wonderful whatever it is that's coming from these icons miraculously. It really does happen. Remember in the Bible where the very shadow of Peter cured people. The shadow would fall on people and they would be cured. Remember the cloth that would cure with the face of Christ. Things would cure. Things would put us in touch with God. And that includes even images that we gaze upon. What happened was centuries ago then, while this controversy was raging, there came a time when finally, finally, it was put to rest, at least really officially. And on the first Sunday of Lent in 843 AD, there was a great procession with the icons. And this was when the Empress Theodora was reigning in the Byzantine Empire. And from that time on, as they walked around with these icons processing and what they call sanctifying the air with them by holding them up and waving them in the air, actually sanctifying the air with icons, from that time on in the Eastern churches, the first Sunday of Lent was always observed as the triumph of the holy icons or the triumph of orthodoxy. You see, being allowed to paint and to adore, to use as prayer, the vehicle of icons is more than just about a piece of art. It's actually about the true belief in the incarnation. That's why it's so significant. That's why people inspired by the devil fought so aggressively to stamp out this practice of making images to God, to the Virgin Mary, to the saints and angels, because it was through those images that we would come in touch with God in a very special way. So naturally, the devil, through these heresies, through misinterpretation of Scripture, saw to it that many people would see this to be wrong and even reacted violently to stamp out this custom. But it was the true church, as always, guided by the Holy Spirit, that triumphed with the truth that we can, and in fact, we should, because it is human, it is natural, it is godly to make things that put us in touch with God. God gave us that ability. Not only did he give us that ability, but let's face it, all of his creation is an icon. I mean, haven't you looked at the beautiful stars in the sky or a beautiful sunset, a child, a bird flying, an eagle soaring, flowers, trees, water, waterfalls, the shore, I mean, I can go on and on and on. All those things remind us of God. They inspire within us a certain awesomeness. They're icons in themselves. All of creation is an icon. 
So why can't we too create images that put us in touch with God, whether it's paint on a canvas or a wall or a piece of wood, or it's a beautiful fragrant flower star in the sky. It all incarnates the presence of God. So in our churches and our parishes, we have these processions as well, where we carry the icons around. Oh, my kids love it in my parish. I get them all together and I got so many icons. Every child has an icon and we process around and parade around before the liturgy starts with the incense going and the cantors singing and the children holding those icons up high and proud. And we put them all over the church. You practically have to trip all over them. So we really, really (laughs) relish this custom on the first Sunday of Lent and certainly in my parish and in Eastern Christian churches all over the world each year. And this has been going on since the ninth century, this first Sunday of Orthodoxy. Another custom that has sort of fallen out of use, although it might be preserved by some Eastern Orthodox churches, is to read during this Sunday the what they call the anathemas. In other words, the Eastern churches took this victory so seriously, this victory of the true faith of icons, that they actually will, for centuries, read out loud names of people who were against icons, and they say, may anathema be upon them. So... In the Eastern Church, we don't fool around when it comes to the true teaching. And that's why this Sunday is called the Sunday of the Holy Images or the Sunday of Orthodoxy, which means the Sunday of true teaching, the true faith. I want to thank you for listening, as always, and especially once again, those of you who are in prison. It is our way of visiting you, as Matthew's Gospel instructs us to do, especially this time during Lent. Our time is dedicated to transforming ourselves into people of greater charity. And we hope that this radio program is an act of charity on our part for all of you. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road. Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.